Name a career in which you may not have to worry about performance and still get paid, uh, besides the weatherman. Well, of course you expect your broker to perform well, but what if they put your money in the market and the market doesn't perform? 50% chance of rain or sunny skies. Is it time you learned how to keep your principal and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning. Eric Hallaby here, the Total Financial Hour, talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, different ideas on how to plan for your future. What does retirement look like? It's certainly different than it was under your grandparents' generation, isn't it? It's a different world when you think retirement is not, you know, sitting in a rocking chair on a porch waiting to die at 68, right? People are living much longer. Their careers are much more developed uh, the ability today to continue to mentor and guide and help young people. Those are real things that can make an enormous difference in how your legacy is perceived, how things last that you've created, the ability for your memory. For some of you, that's a big deal. The ability for you to actually create and build something that impacts humanity in a positive way. Right? Th- these are things that are much greater than, do I have enough money and can I sit in a rocking chair? Most people are not doing that, right? Retirement is about getting out and doing things that you weren't able to do before because of time, money, obligation, right? I know when my wife was at home homeschooling our three children, here I am not able to, you know, to live my dream of wanting to, you know, golf every day or, or ride my mountain bike every day. I had obligations, things to be responsible for not putting anything down in fact i wouldn't trade it for the world in in my world it was much more important to have a life of impact like that so you have you have choices to make right you have adjustments to make for many of you having children in your future is is not something you can see well that's fine we need to know about that Because if eventually you decide to have kids, you have an obligation to those children. They didn't ask to be born in your family, right? You understand that. So so you, you also have the ability and the desire to make a difference in their life by teaching them. So it isn't this never ending pursuit of money or fame or fortune or assets or wealth. It should be something greater than that. It should be 
the never-ending pursuit of making a difference in the world, of creating a balance in society so that your skill set, your ability to go out and make a difference in whatever field you're an expert in, people care. They want to see that. They want to know about it. It could be making a difference in a charity or a church or an organization financially. Right? Not everybody is great at everything, but you might be great at making money. I mean, you understand, some people are really good at making money. Now, most of you would say, oh, well, of course, you know, that's, that would be my dream would be to make a lot of money. Well, with it comes responsibilities, taxes, problems, guilt, obligation, people knocking on your door sometimes at and all hours of the day or night. And, and today, metaphorically speaking, that could be knocking on your door with uh, email requests for funds and, and desire to help other people. So these are things that can change your life when you chase what you thought you were chasing, which was the ability to, 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 get, to, to get that thing. So I want to share with you some ideas here today, but I need you to understand a couple of things, at least my point of view. Number one, the left has always been about scaring you. I'm not saying things aren't real or at least real enough on some level to where you don't want to just take them seriously or at least look at them. And I covered this once before, but enough of you sent emails, requests, and really asks about some serious concerns. And I want to share that with you because this is kind of a valuable, I think, a valuable way to look at how the left is currently yelling and screaming about other things. Okay, remember this in the 1960s. I remember reporting this, by the way, in the 1980s in one of my school papers that Saudi Arabia was going to be out of oil in 20 years. I remember that. Well, in the 1960s, the big push was oil is going to be gone in 10 years. That was the big deal. We got to get off oil. What's going to happen? Saudi Arabia is going away. 1970s. Remember, this is the new one. A new ice age is coming. I remember this. Scare. Watch out. Global cooling. In 10 years, the growing regions. Remember Newsweek did an article. I've told you many times. Some of you know this. I have that Newsweek article copied and framed in my office as a way for me to remember. Don't forget that this is what the mainstream media scientists, people, people believe, right? The consensus, I love that, the consensus, the global warming scam. Look, there's an organization in which many, many scientists are a part of. And it is, uh, I, I don't know, maybe 90% of the scientists are a part of this organization. You get periodicals, there's conferences, there's free webinars, et cetera. So it's a great organization to be a part of. But the organization's leadership, maybe six or 10 people, out of all of these members had decided global warming was a thing to watch out for. So there was this big vote that these 10 members were so voted on and they passed a resolution that we believe global warming is real. So then in turn, the left-wing media comes along and says 90% of scientists, that's not true. It isn't true at all. It's an organization that represents 90% because they have great training and education and, and awareness. And plus, you, if you want to be part of the cool kids, you got to be a part of this organization. And then they passed a resolution. Also said, hey, we're going to do our, our annual meetings in April, whatever they said. 
and we're going to do this. Oh, and by the way, we believe global warming and, and uh, climate change is a real issue. That men are impacting, that people can do something about, that is rare and unheard of. All of that stuff's a bunch of hogwash. So it wasn't 90% of the scientists, 90% agree. It's just these outliers. It isn't true at all. All right, so back back in the day. So here's what they did. Remember, this was a big deal, the, the global uh, cooling. global uh, Oh, growing regions. That was the scare. The scare was there wasn't going to be enough food, right? Because the growing regions, ice caps were going to be all the way down to Denver, basically, and all the way up maybe to, mm, I don't know, Panama, you know, they just had this, this graphic design and somebody with a great blue pen was showing how this wave of ice was going to be spending nine months of the year covering all the way down to the Bay Area, San Francisco. So you couldn't farm in Kansas past maybe two months. I mean, really, it was ridiculous. All right, next, remember this acid rain, 1980s acid rain was on its way. It was going to destroy all of the crops in 10 years. Another big famine push. And then you guys remember this thing? It was called a, we are the world. Remember that? We are the world. Michael Jackson, one take after the Grammys, I think. They had all these people, Bono, Phil Collins, all of these, the top headliners of anybody who was anybody came in and sang. In fact, if you look at the, the video of We Are the World, by the way, I think a great song. You watch most of them are reading the lyrics from a piece of paper because there was no real rehearsal on this. So they, they cut this thing, uh, sold it all over the world, raised money, gave it to Ethiopia and some of that, the sub-Saharan Africa. Part of the reason, of course, was the change in climate meaning rains, not, ah, wait, 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 Arif, what are you saying? No, no, it was civil war. It was the various factions, the various juntas, we call it, the various militias in that region that were stealing the aid. They were stealing the aid that the UN and other African nations were providing. Uh, there was over farming and, and a, a non uh, well, really, an uneducated population on how to farm properly, even though they'd been doing it for generations, a lot of the great farmland was taken and these people were pushed out to desert land. Okay, uh, maybe this is a newsflash for some of you, but have you not seen the way Israel turned desert land into an amazing breadbasket of crops and vegetables and fruits? Maybe, I, I don't know. So it's really not about the desert. It was about the political upheaval. But of course, we're going to provide food, which was sent to that area and then ultimately controlled by the military uh, insurgents and the paramilitary groups and the revolutionaries. And it was the everyday people that suffered. But remember that song, We Are the World. Everybody felt good. They went back to their limousines, uh, drove home to their wonderful homes and their stock refrigerator but they sang a song that was great that was the 1980s 1990s it was the ozone layer it was going to be gone in 10 years 10 years that seems to be the thing right remember al gore was a real big push on global warming in the next 10 years this was in the the 2000s 
Global warming was going to push ice caps would be gone and the polar ice caps would be gone in 10 years. I remember seeing the way the earth turned because of the weight of the polar ice caps. And then I would come and say, well, so what are you saying? They're saying, well, we could see two, three, five inches, maybe five feet of water increase. That alone would change the Florida landscape. It would change the salinity in the oceans and hence numerous species would die off. Huh. Okay, but wouldn't that be great if we were trying to use desalinization to use fresh water? And then we could, in turn, take out the fresh water a lot easier. In other words, less electricity, less energy. Provide it to the desert southwest and the rest of the country that was in drought. Returning salinity back to the ocean. In other words, remember the big reason that, that you don't want to do desal? Remember left wing? Is because when you dissipate the fresh water into society, right into the reservoirs, into the aqueducts of, of the western part of the United States, that's great news. But what are you going to do with the waste product called minerals and, and uh, for the lack of a better word, uh, salt. Well, you just put it right back into the sea. You can't do that, these poor animals. Well, I just thought you said that polar ice caps melting was going to add fresh water, which was going to adjust the... Oh, wait. You only want one side of the argument. Got it. Well, 2010s, global warming. Next 10 years, the earth is warming. It's going to run out of food production. COT, CO2 lags. By 800 years. That's the real truth. You ready for this? Studies have now shown that CO2 has a lag factor in the, in the air by 800 years. And the main source of CO2 is volcanoes. It's more than everything else combined. And believe it or not, the oceans, they provide the most, the second most amount of CO2. And CO2 goes into the oceans when it gets colder. When the oceans are warmer, CO2 is released. So now the oceans are a little warmer, CO2 is released. But it has been there for 800 years, long before the United States, long before the uh, you know mechanical slash industrial revolution. Takes the vast amount of oceans, years to change. So what is the current warmer crisis? Ready for this? The big scare, it's about a half a degree Celsius, 0.5. And it began 150 years ago. Now, what about after 1940? It has actually declined for four decades and then risen again in the last three decades, meaning it's always changing. But don't worry, you were taxed on all of these things. It shifts money. That's the job. Shifts money into the pockets of the limousine liberals. You can fly around on private jets. Don't worry. Bill Gates still flies in a private jet. And he has his own personal security. And a private chef, by the way. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, that's great news. Private chef. And he does that. Because he took advantage of the capitalist experience. Took advantage of all of the things that are important to America that provided an opportunity, but now you can't. 
Don't worry, you can't. Do you realize that it's the same thing as some of you? Some of you do this, right? You buy a new house or a vacation house in the mountains or in a new city. And then, and then you're like, <clears throat> okay, you know, uh, I think this is, this is enough homes. We don't, we don't need any more houses here. Stop building, stop building. We want our view. Remember, you guys do that. We want our view. But what if they would have done that the day before you bought your house? Sorry, you can't buy because those other people that have been here, they want their view. They want their community. What would you say? Right? The not in my backyard. It's the same thing like you guys around LAX or Burbank Airport. It's my favorite. It's the most interesting thing. Santa Monica Airport is a victim of it. Right? I, I don't know if you, if you know this. Surprise. But when you bought your house, there was an airport already there. I mean, don't tell anybody. I get it. You're like, oh, yeah, but I don't think they were flying that many flights. Ah, okay. Well, do you understand today, even if you've been there since the 70s or 80s, today the planes that fly are so much more quieter. So much more quieter. Have you ever been on a 727 or a 707 or a DC-10? <laughs> have, you, have you heard of those? I, I've been fortunate to be on one of those. And by the way, it was not in this country because most of them are banned because of the emissions and the other baloney that goes with it. They are so loud. Even your noise-canceling headphones will barely do anything to it. Imagine being below it. So today, the planes that fly into Burbank Airport, LAX, right? what's the other one out there that, that people are complaining about? Down in Orange County, Santa Monica. I, I get it. The little Cessnas are the same. Right, the 1972 Cessnas that are built, they're still the same, same, same. But there was an airport there when you bought it. Listen, I'm for you in the sense that I don't want noise. That's why I would never buy next to an airport. But you did. You did. And so why would you complain about it? Right, my wife and I were looking at buying a second home, a vacation home, and it was next to a park where they played pickleball. Now, I don't have anything against pickleball. I think it's pretty fun, actually. But I don't want to live next to a park where all night you hear, ting, tink, tink, ting, tink, tink. Who wants to hear that? Not me. So guess what? I didn't buy the house next to the park to hear the pickleball. I'd prefer to drive a little ways if I'm going to go play or watch pickleball. Yes, it was a... A beautiful home. Yes, it was a great view and it was over the park and the park is wonderful and be convenient to walk down there, but it was there, right? If you bought that house and it was a big open field and then they, they did this vote thing and they said, we're going to put a pickleball park and you said, I don't want to play. I don't want to be there. And you move. I would agree with you. I'd be on your side. I would push for it. But some of us are such spoiled little brats. Uh, listen, you're a nice person. God loves you. But in this issue, you're a spoiled brat. You knew the airport was there. All right. So just kind of keep that in mind. You can still fight it, but have some integrity about it. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I made a mistake, right? Take some responsibility in the story. I think that's an important part as we all are looking forward, right? Because this is what's going to happen next. I think so many of you re don't realize that this, the issue in the Middle East, it's already become 
a silent, quiet, less than noisy world war. It is already here. You have China removing Israel from all of its maps. You have Iran and China sending warships in the area. The only way this is going to end in a good way for Israel is for those countries to back off. For countries like Jordan and Saudi Arabia, the more moderates, even Egypt, to stand up and say enough is enough. Because this is the responsibility of the countries in those areas, just like you have a personal responsibility, the countries in those areas provided aid and comfort, regular support, the conversations, etc., to allow the radical Palestinian Hamas to exist. You're right. The Palestinian people are being occupied. There is no question there's an occupation, but it isn't by Israel. It's by Hamas. And realistically, it's it's, uh, uh, Iran, just like in Lebanon. They are being occupied in the southern part of Lebanon. They are being occupied in Gaza. But it isn't by Israel. It's by Iran. The people have no choice. They're the victims in the story. But you don't see Saudi Arabia. You don't see the moderates in Lebanon trying to to overthrow them and, and get back on track. They can't. The Hezbollah uh, military in southern Lebanon is enormously powerful, not a little bit powerful. It's basically a standing army. And the Lebanese army is wonderful uh, human beings, as most of them are, believe it or not. It's the only country in the region that has a huge Christian population, a Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, population, which is what my dad and, and what I was born into. I became a Christian later. It's what our family has been for generations, right? So, and, and Muslim. So it's the only country that has all three of those in that region. In fact, they had a thriving Jewish population up until about 40 or 45 years ago. And there still is a small Jewish population in Lebanon, but not very much. There's a synagogue there still. I've seen it. I don't know how active it is, but I do know there are some Jewish people But most of them had to flee, just like they had to flee Iran. Iran had many, many Jewish people. How many today? None. Egypt, many, many, many Jewish people. Relatively none today. Syria, many, thousands, tens of thousands Jewish. Gone. Okay, now let's look at Israel. Oh, wait a second. Israel has Muslims in its military, in its parliament, in the cabinet, It has Arabs that are leaders. Wait, don't tell me this. Uh, Wait, I'm looking this up. The leader of the, basically the treasury secretary in charge of all the money in Israel is Arab? Huh. There's Christians and Arabs and Muslims and Jewish people. There's Arabs and Israeli. All of them consider themselves Israeli. I want you to know this because I've been there. You see, I love it when so many people, even my family, some of them don't even listen to the show because they, they don't like my position. You see, here's the trade-off. I have been to the occupied territories that are occupied by Hamas. I have been to the West Bank, not Gaza, but to the West Bank. I've been to Lebanon 
and Israel, spoken to the Druze, Jewish people, Arabs. I didn't listen to some silly left-wing or right-wing anybody. I went there, and I spoke to them. And I drove around both areas. Yeah, you're right. On the West Bank, it's kind of like a prison. Huge walls separating them and Israel. I don't know, four stories, five stories tall, something like that. Why? What the heck? Oh, it's because the Palestinian youth used to stand on the side of the road and throw rocks and shoot at the cars when they would drive by. Like, think of it as a freeway, right? Somebody, you drive on the 10 freeway and somebody's throwing rocks at you or shooting cars. You would say, look, enough is enough. Control your people. Oh, well, we can't. All right, fine. We're going to build a wall. So do you realize if you want the wall to come down between these places, you have one side of it that has a wall, an enormous wall. And it protects Israel, in this case, from the West Bank. But the other side is wide open to Jordan. Come and go, come and go. They fly out of Amman Airport. They go to Jordan. They can go to Amman. They can go visit. They, they can fly anywhere they want. They could go anywhere they want. They can bring in anything they want, from weapons to drugs or whatever they want to do. They can't bring them from the Israeli side because they're not trustworthy anymore. So when I come back, I'm going to bring some ideas to you on how I think a ceasefire is a perfect plan. Well, maybe maybe I'll have a job after this. We'll see when we come back. The total financial hour, 888 retire That's my number, 888-997-3847. Stay with me after the break. Arif Halaby on the total financial hour. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being part of the show, Arab Halabi. Talking about your family's finances. Look, the elephant in the room is what's happening in Gaza. I always like to touch on a local issue and then some of the, the more macro issues. How does that impact you, your retirement, your future? Most of you go, well, it's, you know, night and day. Well, it really isn't. Not anymore. Unfortunately, in this global world where you can get on your cell phone at midnight, order something from any place in the world, and within two days, four or five days, it's delivered. I mean, you understand how incredibly odd that is. For young people, they don't. They think this is normal. This has always been that way. Well, what what happened before is you would go into Sears or JCPenney on the catalog. Remember the catalogs? You'd go into the catalog counter and you'd point at something and they'd say, great, it will be here between six and eight weeks, sometimes months. Because they would mail it and then it would go on a train usually and it would come across the country via train. Then it would be picked up at the store and or, and or delivered to your home. These were things that would take a long time. All sorts of stuff. I mean, they would keep very little things in the stores. And then these big mega stores were created, like the Fedco and the Gemco. Remember that? Fedmart. And these big stores. Woolworth Department Store. What? Montgomery Ward. What? Remember those stores? Amazing. 
some of them publicly traded. Some of them were in the S&P 500, which meant they met certain standards that were supposed to be pretty darn good ones, and they're gone forever. So I don't want you to think that some of this international stuff that's happening as factories were pushed under the Obama administration and under George Bush 1 and 2, factories were pushed out of the United States for all sorts of left-wing reasons. Mandatory unions, I can't make a living, close the factory down. Onerous OSHA and, and governmental environmental laws that's, that didn't make any sense, oh, close it down, send it away. So by default, what we're doing the right thing, it's for the people, it's for the children. If a factory was poisoning the local streams and rivers, absolutely you go after them. That's immoral. It doesn't matter if it's here or in China, but you guys are still supporting the ones that are doing this in China. If a factory in Illinois was providing child labor, doing your sneakers or slave labor, creating and mining for your lithium, for your Tesla. And that was happening in Des Moines. I'm with you. Close that baby down. But you guys have no problem with doing that, buying Nike tennis shoes made by slave labor or the mining of lithium in Africa or some of the other minerals required to run your electric vehicle. You're okay with that because the salesman was clean cut when you bought it or the website was amazing. No problem. So you have selective moral outrage and selective integrity pursuits that isn't really kind of across the board. Surprise, that arrogance finds its way across the country and today around the world. It is not lost on those in the Middle East how arrogant some of you are. And I don't mean you walk around with, you know, fancy clothes. I mean, you try to, you say with your mouth one thing and you do something else, right? You fly in private jets and then you blame everybody else for polluting with their pickup truck. You don't understand that most people can see through that. Now you can't because everybody else at your party wants to be your friend. But international people, they couldn't care less about being your friend. You lack integrity, right? You lack that moral authority. You don't have that ability to go across the world anymore and say, this is the way we should do it. So you run around and you call for ceasefire. And I want you to know I am on your side. Yeah, look, some of you are going to be shocked. I think there should be a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. And here are my terms. Right now, ceasefire. All of the hostages are returned and, uh, and bodies, in some cases, to Israel. Number one. That, okay, done. Easy. Number two. All of the men... All of the men involved in the massacre in October shall be turned over for trial, for execution, whatever, whatever Israel decides. That means the leadership. That means the young men that are 15 and 20 years old. Doesn't matter. All of them shall be turned over to Israel for their punishment. Okay, now, and then 
we will stop bombing and your civilians can rebuild and the, the international world, I'm sure, is going to still give you billions of dollars, Hamas. Don't worry, because there's no such thing as giving it to the Palestinian people. You understand that. That doesn't exist. You give it to Hamas. So I think there should be a ceasefire when all of the men who were involved in this planning and the women that supported them, some of your women sewed things, built things, created things, whatever, all of you. Yeah, yeah. The guys, listen, the men that supplied, if they knew the training for those paragliders, they need to be turned over. They might get less punishment because maybe they didn't know until the end what they were going to do, use them for. They thought there was going to be the new paragliding uh, sports team, maybe. Turn all of those people over and no problem. But you see, here's the problem. They're never going to do that. They never will. Because they made an enormous calculation that the world, and, and listen, it's kind of paying off. When you have people spray painting the White House and the president of the United States is a coward, uh, yes, an enormous coward. He is not putting an end to this. He's not standing up and saying, you don't get to spray paint the White House. You can dislike Israel. Go ahead. I don't care. Go ahead. Protest. That's what you do. Go over there, just like everybody else, next to the reflecting pool, and, and protest uh, Israel. But you don't get to destroy things, spray paint things. No, no, no. Remember, you guys, the Occupy uh, January 6th. Remember that? How you're still going out. There's a thousand, what is it, 1,500 people in, in prison in the gulags without any trial. And yet you let these people basically take over White House property. Listen, I, I, I'm telling you to this day, I don't think President Biden will be in office in the end of the year. I just don't. I think he's going to step down. I think he's going to be told to step down. I think he's going to be maybe sick. I think there's a problem that's coming, and it's, and it's not going to be, for the most part, one that keeps him in office. I think he's going to step down and say, oh, it's for the children. Oh, I love my son so much more. I'm going to step down because I think some of you will stop picking on him if I can at least uh, you know, step away from this. Because you're only going after my son, Hunter, because of me. So, so maybe, maybe that's what will happen. He's definitely not going to run for office again. Why do you think Gavin Newsom and, the, and his uh, ilk are pushing, pushing, pushing? Why did Gavin Newsom go to China? Why did he go kiss the butt of China? A any idea? But what, because he thinks California has, has the ability to print money? To give gold? The state of California doesn't hold gold. The state of California doesn't make international trade decisions without the federal government's approval. So there's no power there. So here's what I think. I think it's going to be Governor Whit Whitmer on the top of the ticket and Gavin Newsom on the bottom. Yep, I think Gavin Newsom, vice president candidate. Because remember, the left is about symbolism over substance. So with symbolism over substance, they want a woman on the top of the ticket. No idea if, if she has any good judgment decision-making process. Nope. No real conversation about what her policies are that, that has really improved Michigan. Mm -mm, no way. But I think it's Governor Whitmer. 
I think she's going to be drafted. I think you're going to see Gavin Newsom as the number two because he's good at trying to kind of, you know, support one for the team. And he's an outright dishonest individual. You know that. Gavin Newsom is literally a dishonest individual. And that's important you understand that because he doesn't talk about the truth. He makes up stories. And the left is all about appearances and, oh, he's such a good-looking guy. Oh, oh, he's so charismatic. Some would say that's the reason John F. Kennedy was elected because what kind of real, I guess, experience did he have? Well, let's go more recently. First-term senator from Illinois by the name of Barack Obama. <laughs> oh, he's good-looking. It was Joe Biden that said, oh, he's a well-spoken black man. Joe Biden said that. So you see how they care about appearances. The left cares about what they look like. That's why when we go back to the beginning and they fly in private jets, they don't think you're going to see that. What do they care about? Well, what they say at the event and the party and what uh, talk shows they're on and books they've written. They don't care about truly making a difference. Otherwise, the projects that are full of drugs and, and uh, homeless families that are, are trying to live in these, these homes, um, right? these apartments, these projects throughout New York and Chicago and L.A., the, the housing projects, you understand they would be fixed by now. If the left wing cared about results, you wouldn't have Nickerson Gardens. You wouldn't have the Watts area, which are bad areas, by the way, in, in L.A., right here in Southern. Yeah, they're bad. Sometimes police officers don't go in there, certainly not on foot, not by themselves, because the left does not want results. They want this never-ending problem. So how is this all going to impact you? Well, number one, oil and products and services are going to be more expensive. We're trying our best. We're basically 1937, 1938. What did that mean? It means Franklin Roosevelt figured by what was happening in Germany, Germany refused at the time to continue to pay the reparations that it owed the other countries for World War I. Basically, after 15 years or 10 years, whatever it was, enough is enough, they said. We're not paying anymore. So Germany stopped paying for reparations. Because in the 30s, 20s and 30s, Germany had to give up most of its coal. And to be clear, back then, coal was the main source of energy. It provided warmth. It provided electricity. And so what was happening was German miners were mining coal and putting it on trains and sending it to France. So France had near free energy because of all the destruction Germany caused in World War I, they had to pay it back. So their way of paying it back in one, in one respects was coal. So after a while, this nationalist movement says enough is enough. We're not going to give you any more. And instead of the rest, oh, oh, and by the way, they weren't allowed to build certain military equipment. And they said, well, that's it. That's it. We're going to finally build our own military equipment. We're going to build 
numerous different types of vehicles and airplanes, and they they breached the Treaty of Versailles for all intents and purposes. And they were starting to build up for war. Franklin Roosevelt saw that. So in 1937 America, let's be kind of going back a little bit, let's be focused. We were not prepared for this war. We didn't have the proper training. We basically sent our armies home and our standing army was very small, kind of irrelevant at the time. So we started building our training, building our weapons, building our munitions, building our airplanes, building our, our ships. So from the mid thirties until December 7th, 1941, we were supplying very little to Europe to protect against Germany's aggression in Poland and Czechoslovakia and some of those other areas. But when that was taking place, the United States knew secretly that a war was going to be coming, coming to our doors. Weren't sure how, weren't sure why or, or what the next step was, but I think they knew something was happening. And so what did you see? Historically speaking, we now know this, the U.S. was preparing, but we had to build. So what's happening today? Well, you have uh, west of Phoenix, Arizona, one of the largest chip manufacturing plants in the country. I think the other one is in Kentucky, and we have another one, I want to say, in Illinois, but, uh, or Indiana, I think. So we're trying to build up. Now, it's not munitions as much, although we need to do that. It's tech. It's the chips. So you're going to start to see that happening. So that's been, I think it's been at least a year now. That plant is going to be enormous. It's in a place called Buckeye, Arizona. That's being built. So our preparations that are happening, the problem is while you're preparing for something that's serious, they're sending all this free stuff to Ukraine. Now you realize Ukraine is an enormously corrupt government. That's why they paid the Bidens so much money. That means for you, you're going to have to pay more taxes. That means for you, as 70 million baby boomers are retired, the unearned income portion of your retirement, meaning you have not paid taxes on that money. So it's not earned. It's not that you go to job uh, and, and you work or you and your employer pay payroll tax. This is instead a completely different scenario. This is unearned income. So it's pension, social security, 401k withdrawals, most of you rental property. A lot of it, how you live in retirement. Well, those dollars have to be taxed at a higher number because America's income, the, the people that are making the most amount of money, the, sh the shift is slowly happening away from job money to asset money, from earned income, right? 10 people go to work and they make $25 an hour. By the time they get all the money left, it isn't 25 bucks. Maybe it's 15 or 17, right? You pay social security tax. You might pay payroll tax of uh, unemployment, Obamacare tax, all this baloney tax. By the time you get it, maybe there's some state or federal tax. You, you don't really see much. But if you're unearned income, you could get a lot more. Well, the government says that's not fair, right? They use the F word. That's not fair. So they decide one thing. What? They're going to take your money. Oh, everybody calls me and says, oh, Eric, what about the government confiscating our retirement accounts? Look, that's a possibility, right? They're the left wing. And so for some of you that still hate Donald Trump, 
You have to realize this is a choice. The left wing is, is contemplating a decision. It's very, very low chance, 5 10%, I don't know. But to take a portion of your retirement account, IRA or 401k, fund it inside of Social Security. In other words, use it to pay Social Security, take away your IRA, and give you Social Security credits. Money in which you'll never get back, by the way. That's a, who do you think is floating that proposal? Republicans? Conservatives? Moderates? No, Democrats. You can dislike Joe Biden and the progressive left and call yourself a liberal, but if you still vote for them, there is no difference. Zero. You are those people because you just gave them the power. Now, maybe that's what you want. Maybe you're okay with them taking. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think that's a long way off, but it's possible because President Obama was the first president ever to sign an executive order that requires all of the institutions, the banking institutions, financial security, annuities, insurance, investments, everybody that has a retirement account to report on an annual basis the balance of your retirement account. That was never required before. Never. It, the only time that mattered is when you turned, at the time, 70 and a half. Today, that required minimum distribution is age 73. That's the first time that anybody's ever required the balance of your retirement account to be reported to the federal government. You receive the letter, it's called a fair market value letter, FMV, fair market value, that didn't exist before. So a lot of you are wondering, so what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, very simple. You see, I think in a post-Cold War environment, when President Obama had no problem with Crimea and some of the other issues, Georgia, right? They didn't push back. Him and Bush one, uh, Bush two, rather, they allowed that to happen between Crimea and Georgia. The the two countries that Russia invaded, Russia said, "Oh, okay, interesting." Both Republicans and Democrats are okay with this. Oh, but Donald Trump wasn't, so we're not going to do anything under Donald Trump. Oh, wait, now Joe Biden's the president. Now we're going to go after Ukraine. Who do you think is going to pay for this? I think that fair market value letter was a backup savings account for this Washington, D.C. swamp, this globalist elite, to see what's in our savings account. What can we take tax or otherwise abscond? Huh. Well, well, listen, we can't keep printing money. Let's see what you have in your retirement account. Now, I think there's ways around it, right, as far as preparing for it. And it isn't gold, although I think you should have some gold, fine. I think it's about income. It's about shifting this concept of I have a big chunk of money and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, someday use it to live on. Maybe. I think having an income stream that never goes away is very important. But I also think being a conservative activist is key. That means you have to get out and protest. That means you have to get out and donate your money to these organizations, but make sure they're the solid organizations, but you should still consider it. It means you should go out and make a difference in some of these, oh, I don't know, 
get out the vote campaign. Some of you are great skill set when it comes to talking to people. We'll get on the phones, register people. You see, because the big picture is these dollars that are spent in Ukraine and now in the bribing Iran, which never worked, trying to bribe Hamas to shut down. They will take your money. They think of the Democrats as fools. I want you to know this. I've spoken to some people that are close to some of these people, and they think the Democrat Party is a joke. I want you to know this. They're chumps, right? We called it on the street. The guy's a chump. We can take advantage of him. Blinken thinks he's some democratic, diplomatic elite. He's not. He's a joke. Show up at Hamas and beg them. Donald Trump would show up and say, listen, you do this, we're going to blow you up. You do this, we're going to put your people in prison. You do this, we're going to shut off the funding in the United States. Because you understand the the United States understands that money is here is flowing to Hamas and Hezbollah. We know that. We know where those organizations are. We know where the bank, quote, banks are. And they're here in the United States. And we allow it to happen. Sometimes for bigger pictures. We track the money. We track the people. They can say, listen, we're just going to shut that down. I don't know what Trump used as a tactic or his people. I'm very disappointed in Pompeo now. I think he has a, I think he's a traitor, not to the United States. I think he's a patriot to the United States. I think he's a traitor to his loyalty, to his friend and to the president. Right? So whatever. Some of those men had great skill in negotiating and understanding the big picture. Pompeo was one of them. But he sounds like a schoolyard bully or a boy who got upset. So now he's, you know, saying things and picking on President Trump. I don't know. You just sound childish. Maybe that's the word juvenile. So the key is to understand if you don't get a handle on this, where the U.S. is sending money, massive dollars overseas, then your retirement accounts are the piggy bank for the left wing in the Democrat Party. Because every year they're being reported, the balances, every year they tax or raise taxes, call something different. I think that what this ultimately is going to end up happening, there's going to be a separate tax. Do you know how there's capital gains tax, right? It could be zero. It could be 15%. It could be 20%. Capital gains, which is I bought something, I held it for one year and a day, and I sold it. In other words, I put my risk, my, my capital at risk, my money at risk. For that, I'm rewarded with a lower tax bracket. It's not ordinary income. It's called capital gains. It's one way how very wealthy uh, CEOs of companies earn their income. They have a salary that's very low, and they make a higher amount of money in capital gains, which is taxed at a lower bracket. I think what's going to happen is they're going to create another category, and it's going to be called unearned income tax. And I think they're going to tax that at a higher rate than capital gains. That, I think, is the next push for the Democrat Congress and president. That's probably their agenda. And that's your retirement accounts. That's your pension money. Stay with me after the break, guys. I have your emails. 888-99-RETIRE. Grab your pen. 888-997-3847. 
Grab your pen. I'll give you my email address when we start the next, uh, the top of the hour for your emails. Interesting ones this week. I think fascinating, actually, is one of them for sure. We'll be right back after the break. Air of Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour on AMA 70, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Hey, welcome back to the show, Eric Halabi, the total financial hour. Love to have you here as part of the show as we talk about your family's finances, some of the different political impacts. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to have traveled uh, around the world to meet with many people of various levels of government and, and kind of learn about what we see, if you will, is not always the truth, <laughs> whether it's on Fox News, uh, whether it's certainly lately on Fox News or whether it's on uh, the ABC, CBS, NBC. I've shared with you, but it's been many years ago uh, that I have, I think, maybe Maybe it's been a couple of years that I've shared it here on this station, but I want to share something with you. So uh, I was a Los Angeles police officer. Most of you know that for about 11 years, a big car accident, multiple back surgeries, ultimately chain and knee surgeries changed my career uh, in the middle of that healing process. Cause you don't have all the surgeries the same day. It takes a little bit of time. And over that period of time, I got scammed. I got ripped off and they stole all my money, three different scams actually over the course of about a year and a half. During those scams, when they stole my money, I thought I was a smart guy before that, right? I was a, an investor. I'd been a trader and stock investor kind of a guy since I was about 18 years old. So I'm like, wait a second. I'm a smart guy. I carry a gun. These guys knew that, right? Obviously, police officers carry guns. They didn't have any fear of me. They, they, they couldn't care less whatever my, my uh, position was in life or, or intellect. They, they stole my money. So I said, I got to go back to school. So I did that for the next couple of years. Ultimately, that led me to, to of course, where I am today, talking to you. Uh, in a couple of months, January 2024 will be 20 years on the radio for us. So many shows, over 3,000 now, we've counted many, many hours, many shows. Sometimes I did a show for three days a week. Sometimes I've done shows two days a week. Sometimes one show for two or three hours. So, so various uh, iterations over the years. But they all, they've all centered around my experience with you guys, having countless clients that have come in, people that I've helped. I love what I do. It's, it's so funny. I, I always wonder when, when people are, are counting the days to retirement, it isn't because they often love what they do. They just, it's a thing. They do it. They're, they're well paid or paid well enough. And they just can't wait for the day to end. I just love it. I love what I do. I love the ability to help you. I love the ability to share ideas and to kind of be a common sense voice, many of you say, in the sea of craziness. And because of that, uh, you know, this is something that uh, we don't see ending anytime soon. I think I love not just this part, the communications, but I, I think it's deeper than that. And it's the connection with you guys. And so often issues will come up, whether it's in my experience as a police officer, whether, you know, the, the little bit of undercover stuff that I did, uh, some of that, right, was before this whole world of internet. So I love the idea of you know trying to stay anonymous. And then of course, the internet comes along and the radio shows are everywhere. This thing called Google finds anybody, anytime, anywhere. You're like, okay, well, so much for that uh, anonymity. But today, 
I want you to know a couple of things that, uh, that matter. Today, my job is not just fighting for you as I did on the streets of LA. My job is now fighting for you when it comes to some of the financial scams and frauds. We bring those things to your attention and even some things that are not so much financial related, but certainly are physically threatening to your safety and security. So I want to share some of those with you. I've given you travel tips, right? Uh, many of you go, well, it's so nice to have traveled. Look, my dad worked for the airlines. When you work for the airlines and you work, and then a travel agent after that, you get to fly for free mostly, or you pay the taxes, right? Some of you know it's called non-revenue or standby. So my life was about standby, standing by on, on the airlines. Most of the times you're the last person to board. You're fortunate if you ever get enough one of those bins on the top, you know, to store your bag. So you had to travel with a smaller bag. You almost never checked luggage because you didn't know if you were going to get on the plane, but they had to have the luggage on well before they decided whether or not Arif was going to fly. So it was a very kind of an awkward way to fly, but it's, it was amazing because you flew all over the world, got a chance to do things that most people only dreamed of sometimes for $80, sometimes for free, sometimes 25 bucks, just an incredible experience. Very grateful that, that we had it. And so with that came best practices, travel tips. And even today we travel quite a bit, although my dad has just passed. Some of you know that I appreciate your condolences also from that for many of you. And, and he did retire many years ago. So today we fly on our own. It's our own thing. Uh, but I do want to share something with you that I have learned both as my perception as a police officer from that point of view, because as a retired policeman, you never change. Many of you know that it's been 20, 30 years. doesn't matter. You never change. You still have that same heightened awareness. So here's what we're seeing before I get to your emails. Here's what I'm seeing. When some of you are boarding Ubers, we're starting to see more and more of this Uber Lyft, this rideshare stuff that's out there. I want you to protect yourself. So always look to see, is that the same car that is on your phone, right? License plate, make model. Sometimes a man will be driving and it'll be his wife's profile. You guys have seen that. We've all seen that if you, if you Uber enough. Oh, it's my son. I'm trying to help him earn extra money. Usually it means the guy's got some sort of tax problem or creditor issue. So he has the money go to his son's account, even though he's driving and driving his son's car sometimes even. Sometimes they're truly bad guys that are after you. So here's what I want you to do. You get into an Uber, you're making sure, right? The make model license plate is the same. Number two, when you get in the vehicle, look at the locking mechanism. Is it disabled? So you're not gonna close the door. You're gonna open the door and see the little locking mechanism on the top of the door, right? The little chrome thing that goes up and down. Is that attached or is it unscrewed? Can you unlock and lock and latch the door inside and out? Can you do that? Number two, do the windows work, right? Sometimes I roll down the windows because he can lock the windows from the front drivers. Sometimes I just roll down the windows. I know it's a little cold outside and I tell him I just want fresh air. Right, because you can unlock the door from the outside. You can un unlatch the door rather from the outside, but the locking mechanism still has to be able to work. Right, if you're unsure, take a picture. I always take a picture. I take a picture of the driver, take a picture of the car. Listen, don't forget, they usually have a video of you 
You've seen it, those cameras that are rear-facing and front-facing. In case somebody says, oh, they got in a car accident and it's that guy's fault. Nope, not really. So you can take a picture of the driver. He's got a picture of you. If the driver has a mask on, eh, I usually ask him to remove the mask before I take a picture. If they say, well, I don't want to do it, I go, listen, I'll hold my breath. I won't breathe. We'll take a picture together. You have a picture of me up there. I want a picture of you. So my point is you are in control. You can say and do things because it is your safety. This is your ride share. You're the one paying for it. Not him. He's being paid. So don't forget that, okay? You have the power that the power doesn't end when you get into somebody else's vehicle. The power is yours no matter what. Okay. Here's a couple of things that I want to give you as a, an example, what, at least what I think is a great example of how you can create and build your wealth in retirement. But most of you don't always send me emails. So maybe you can learn from this person's email. All right. Grab your pen and paper. And I think this is important because you get to send me an email to Arif, A-R-I-F, Arif, at T is in Tom, F is in Frank. So tfswealth.com. Arif at tfswealth.com. Okay? A-R-I-F at tfswealth.com. Here's, a, here's an interesting email. Ready? This is important because we're finding this more and more. Maybe it'll apply to you. Dear Arif, I am a 56-year-old male, single man, never been married. I thought I would be married someday, but it just never seemed to happen. I decided to put my effort into my job and my career. I have amassed more than $5 million in my retirement accounts, and I have now three rental properties that I own outright. I believe I will move out of California when I retire in about four years. So that's going to be, pausing for just a minute, guys, that's going to be right around at age 60. Okay, and it's an important number. You'll see why in a second. Continuing, I do have a revocable living trust with beneficiaries. My question is this. How do I list the nonprofits and the charities in my living trust? Also, I would like to create a lifetime income for myself that can even increase over time, but I want to also leave enough money to provide for healthcare issues that I might have later on in life. I would also like to create a scholarship program in the name and honor of my brother who served in the military and who's now passed away. It would be at our old high school. Who would you suggest I have as a, uh, as a successor trustee? Can I have the trust last for many years? Okay, a lot of questions there, guys. So let me break it down for you. Here's a 56-year-old man that wants to retire at age 60. So in four years, he'll be past the age of 59 and a half. So then he won't pay any of the IRS 10% penalties on retirement accounts, whatever uh, there might be present. In addition to all of that, and this kind of makes a big difference for some of you, he has rental properties. Now those rental properties provide in most cases a tax-free depreciation. It's called depreciation credit. 
So write that down. If you have rental property and you're not receiving a tax break, you need to talk with your CPA or tax preparer and say, what are my depreciation credits here? There's three ways to be uh, cataloged, if you will, on your taxes when it comes to real estate. There's passive, passive with active participation, and a real estate professional. Now, before you put your values and ideas on any of those, let me do just a brief, brief explanation. You'll see why that matters. If you're passive, that means you can only deduct passive income off of passive losses, which depreciation is considered a passive loss. If it's active, in other words, if you are involved in making the decisions on the plumber to use or or you, you decide on what property management company to hire, you have to approve uh, tenants moving in or out or paying this or expense or, or that repair. These are important things. You're actively involved. Now, there's some time requirements. I'm not going to go into that today. But I do want you to know that most of you should be active because you probably are and don't even know it. But your CPA may not be including that. So make sure you bring that up to them to see if you qualify. I would bet most of you would qualify, but that's just me. All right, number two, number three, real estate professional. Real estate professional, when I said that word, is not what you think. It isn't a realtor. It's not a broker. It, it isn't a, a loan processor or broker or property manager. No, no, no. It's a real estate professional. The definition is basically your, your income or a majority of your income that is actively created, not pensions or 401ks or social security. But your income that comes from working is that coming from real estate related activities, remodeling. So maybe you're a contractor, maybe you're a property manager, maybe you're a decorator. If you're spending time and money and research on actively going out and getting real estate related activities, then maybe it counts. Again, do your research professional real estate investor, because that can matter. It gives you tax-free income from any source. All right. If that matters to you guys, uh, come on into the office and, and maybe we can help. And I meet with your CPA. We'll bring them on the phone. We review it with them. I'll go with you to even your real estate and, or sorry, the uh, trust attorney, which to be clear here is this. I am a certified estate planner. So I understand these things at a level that maybe is different than some other financial advisors or financial professionals, simply because the, the uh, ability for trusts to be used properly in your retirement world is a big deal, especially if you are a single person, single woman, single male, right? Because it's normally inferred, oh, I'm married for 40 years. Okay, great. What his is hers and what hers is his and whatever. But in this case, wants to be called Jim, so we're calling him Jim. Jim decided a couple of things. He decided that number one, as an unmarried man, a single guy, that he was just going to put his time and, and effort into his career. So he's amassed about $5 million in retirement accounts. Well, here's what I want to do. If you're going to leave any money to charities, and this, by the way, guys, applies to all of you, super important, okay? Pay attention for a minute. This is the part that really makes a, an enormous difference. 
Any professional, uh, financial professional will tell you this. All right. Or should. If you are going to have charities listed inside of your trust, right? The church gets this much, the charity, the, the missionary group, whatever. I want you to put dollar figures down, not percentages, not 10% to them, 50% to them, 30% to, no, 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 no. Here's why. I have had numerous times in my office, no less than 10, where representatives from the nonprofits, the charities, and yes, churches have sat in my office and argued with the trustee. You said I get 30% of this estate. You sold the house for 500,000. I think it was worth 600. So you sold it too low of a price. So we want 30% of 600, not 30% of 500. Do you see what I'm saying? When you use percentages, they're going to question, did you sell the house for the right amount? What if you would have put $50,000 into the house? Maybe you could have received an additional 200,000 on the sale price. So you cheated us out of that money, says the charity. And there's one particular organization. I won't say the name on the air, but there's one particular organization who brings their lawyers and they fight for this. I'm like, man, you guys just be grateful that he even put you in his trust. Why are you nickel and diming? Oh, you sold the gold coins for 10% less than you should. We want our money. Well, do you see where I'm going, where the percentages make a difference in your living trust? I want you to put dollar figures because 30,000 or 60,000 or 200,000, those dollars are just dollars. It doesn't matter the size of the trust, but Arif, how do I know how much I have left? So then what you do is you say, after these dollars are sent and spent, whatever is left, that goes here or there, right? So it's a way for you to kind of say that I'm spending all the money, if you will, giving it away to all of these organizations, churches, charities, and then whatever's left as a dollar figure goes to, to these organizations. So it's a way to lessen the pushback that you get from some of these charities. Okay. Second, I want you to when it comes to charities, go to charitywatch.org and charitynavigator.org. Charity Watch and Charity Navigator. Charity Watch and Charity Navigator. They are, generally speaking, uh, credible. I mean, it's hard because maybe a lot of organizations have, have uh, sponsors and, and people that push one way or the other. So, but, but generally speaking, it's a great resource to decide, are these charities being run efficiently? Are they telling the truth about how much money goes to the kids or to the, to the uh, organizations as opposed to the administrative fees? A lot of people want to give money to the American Red Cross. I think they still have two jets. They might have three now. They pay their CEO millions of dollars a year in benefits and salary. Now, if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. But if you think the dollars are supposed to go to a church, charity, or an organization, the closer you get to that charity or the organization, the better off you are. The United Way is an organization that brings in money, and the only customers for the United Way are other charities. So they are a charity of charities, but they take an administrative fee. So the United Way takes a fee off the top and then gives it to 
children or puppy dogs or whatever else they might do each and every year. So wherever you're going to put it, if you want a certain impact, try to get as close to that organization as possible. And I think the smaller ones can do just as good. But I want you to volunteer before. So consider volunteering for the charity first before giving money. See how they work on the inside. Don't let them know you're, you have millions of dollars, Jim, or, or, or anything that they're going to receive. Just go and say, hey, I like pit bulls. We have a client that runs a pit bull nonprofit. Amazing. Loved it. You guys heard me talk about it years ago. I really uh, pushed it. We donated blankets so that the dogs in the shelter, the pit bulls in the, in the no-kill shelter would at least have some blankets. And then when they were adopted, we had a fresh blanket that they got to take with them so they weren't on the hard floor. Right? You could do things like that. You don't have to adopt all of the, the pities. They're amazing dogs, by the way. But you can do something for them. Right? There's things you can do. So you find out what, what is your passion. I'm not a fan of cats. Never been a cat person. It doesn't mean I hate them. I'm just not a fan of them. But dogs, love them. Horses, love them. Right? So, so what is my, my issues are not going to be to find a cat charity. So that's fine. Yours might be. All right. Military veterans, a big deal for me as well. And here's the case where Jim's brother was in the military. Here's how I want you to do the scholarship. I want you to go to the local high school. When my wife and I created a scholarship, it was a nonprofit uh, program, meaning it was just us giving the money. It wasn't going through the school. It wasn't us deciding that here are the school, you guys decide where it goes. We said, we want to decide. And it was a scholarship in honor of my parents at our old high school. Because when my dad and mom brought all those people from Lebanon, they all eventually filtered through this high school, most of them anyway. And the high school uh, in Silmar busted its tail. They did good. And we wanted to thank them. So... Years later, when my wife and I had some extra funds, we went to the school and we said, we have a, a scholarship we'd like to give. Great. Just give us the money. We'll decide. No, no, no. That's not how it works. And so we created criteria. You can create your own criteria. For me, if it was a 3.8 GPA or above, they did not get our scholarship. Did not. I wanted somebody who got a 2.0 to a 3.79. You bust your tail and you still do average but you busted your tail. Work ethic's way more important than whatever school grades you receive, by the way. I, I couldn't care less what your grades are. You have to get at least a 2.0 because that's, I mean, you can breathe and do that. So that is important. 2.0 to 3.79, you got our scholarship. But you had to answer questions, read a book, write an essay. You had to do stuff. But that was our deal. And we, get, we were able to give a presentation when both my parents were still alive in the back of the room and they had a chance to hear some great things said about them year after year. And why is that important? Because that's what the impact I wanted. It was a way for us to say thank you to both the school and for them, those kids to know about my parents and what they did for all those kids years, years earlier. So Jim, what matters to you? Military, a young man going into the military, maybe you're going to give him money to assist with his moving expenses or to care for his vehicle while he's gone, you can help pay for the insurance. So the car doesn't, you know, he doesn't lose the car. Things like that. Think, think deeper. All right. 
Next, what are we going to do with the money to ensure, Jim, that you don't go backwards? Well, first of all, I would take the $5 million. I'd probably put $1 million of it and design that for long, long term, 10, 15, 20 years from now. The reason for that is that's your healthcare backup plan. That's to bring somebody into the house. That's to make sure they can you know, build the ramps if you need ramps or, or build a bathroom downstairs that you could roll into. If you, I mean, anything you needed, that's what that, the job of that million dollars is. Sets aside, it's going to probably earn 4, 5, 6% on average. You're not designed to hit any home runs. You're not designed to double it by the weekend. The reason is simple. We need it for healthcare sometime later in the future. When Christopher Reeve fell off, I think it was the horse, when he got injured, he didn't know he was going to be somebody in his 40s, I believe, 30 years, uh, or 40s or 50s, that was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. So for him, long-term health care was still 30 years away. No, no, no. It happened when he was young. So he required that care. Same thing for you. 56 years old, I would take a million of it and set it aside and the job of that is later. Next, I would ladder the rest of it. I'd keep probably a half a million liquid. That's what you're going to do to travel the world, build your scholarship funds, do fun things like that. All of this could be have the beneficiary be the trust. The ownership is still you, especially if they're retirement accounts because retirement accounts have a birth date which is you, and a death date, which is when you pass. Trusts do not. Trusts can live forever, if you will. It's like a company or corporation, the J. Paul Getty Museum. You guys see it right off the 405 in Sunset? The J. Paul Getty Museum? Well, that was J. Paul Getty had a trust. He created that decades ago. It still exists. He's not here anymore. But the trust is still providing, in his case, his passion was art. So... You'll have a trustee. I want you to decide what matters to you in your trust. And you're going to spend time doing this. This isn't something you need to do by next Thursday. No, no, no. This is something you spend time with. Organizations, you're going to volunteer, passion, decide what matters. And remember, stay away from bond funds or stock funds or mutual funds or stocks or bonds if you don't want them the value to go down. Okay, know what you're doing. Know what you're investing in. If you find the best financial person and he or she says, but you can't lose a penny, then you're probably not going to get great rates of return, right? There's a trade-off and you say it's worth it or it isn't worth it. So I would have a balanced portfolio, but not balanced between stocks and bonds, balanced between risk and not risk and not balanced the way Arif would live my life, but the way Jim lives his life. And you make sure that you understand when you're working in a trust environment, the word trust is much more than just the, uh, the documents, believe it or not. All of your real estate needs to be wrapped into that trust, but you need to trust your financial professionals and your attorney because that's where some leakage, excessive fees can occur. All right, so protect that. Okay, listen, I'll be back in just a minute. I got another one for you. This one is interesting. Husband and wife worked together for 30 years, and they've worked for the government. So let's see how that's worked out for them. Come back in just a minute. I'm Eric Hallaby, 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the total financial 
Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power. Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with me. It was a short break. I like short breaks. I get a chance to talk with you more about saving you money, hopefully getting you out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I love it when people will say things like, hey, Arif, are you a fiduciary? And I go, well, what does that mean? They go, well, it means you're supposed to act in my best interest. I said, okay, well, let's think about this for a second. You can call it whatever you want. But do you really think a bad guy walking down the street goes, oh, dang it, I was going to rip you off. However, they passed a law. There's a rule now that says I can't steal. Darn it. It was so close. I was going to do it, but now I don't have to. Or, or wait, excessive fees. I was going to charge excessive fees. Now I can't. Did you think that, that does that really work? Maybe. Maybe some people were like so close to being a scammer and darn it. This new rule they passed or this law or whatever. So just be careful about running around with these labels, right? Oh, I'm a financial, uh, wait, this, oh, wait, you guys have heard my favorite. I'm a vice president with Morgan Merrill Schwab guy. Yes, vice president. Everybody's a vice president. Everybody. You're either the secretary, the one who gets the water, or the coffee, or answers the phone, or you're a vice president, right? So uh, I'm okay if you tell me that this is your experience and you you have this track record and you're really good and and you, your judgment is, oh, I got it. Okay, good. That's good. Then I wouldn't worry. But if you tell me that the title is supposed to mean something, and in the end, your title is the one that stole all my money, or in the end, right, 2020, let me pull it up here and take a look. I want to see what we've done year to date so far. Where are we? Okay, we made a little bit on, let's do year to date. So, so far this year, the market is up a little bit. That's nice. 400. Yep. Yeah. What about the last 12 months? Good, it's up a little bit. That's interesting. So why is it that about half of what you've earned, your broker also made? Can you explain that to me? Like, like, why is that okay? Maybe, maybe that's uh, if you earn 10,000 and they can make four or five, is that okay with you? If it is, then just keep doing what you're doing. If you think the fees and risks are appropriate to what you're trying to achieve in your financial life, then great. But I want you to think twice about this because I think you have to realize the job of this money is for you. It's not for anybody else. Just because your your broker or, or the TV commercial says, we make money when you make money and we do better when you do better, well, it all it means is they charge more fees. You lost money and they still charge a fee. Oh, but they didn't charge as much. Darn it. Yeah. Is that, is that okay? Is that how you decided that your financial life was supposed to be? Just be careful. That's all. Know what you're doing and then decide, hey, these are my fees. Tell me, what is my total cost? Right? So many of you will say the word fee and your broker will say $25 a year. No, no, no. What is my total cost? You see, that's the dirty little secret, especially if it's in writing. What is my total cost? 
depending on the account you have, it could be 12B1, it could be expense ratios, it could be uh, rider charges, it could be on and on and on fees and, and administrative charges and sub-account fees. What's my total cost? And I don't want the total cost just in percentages because that's another little thing that financial folks can do that's on purpose or on accident. I don't think most of them are scammers, by the way, by any means. I don't think most of them are bad guys. I think most of them, like all of us, were trained. Some were trained better than others. Some were trained not so good. Some were trained to just sell one product. Some were trained to think differently. It's just training. So ask what's my total cost in dollars? Well, Jim, Joe, Steve, I've had the account with you for nine years. I've put in 100000 Today it's worth 170. I'm happy. I made money. It's good. It's up. But Joe, so I've, I've put in 100. I've made $70,000 in profits. How much did I pay in fees? Well, you pay 1.6% a year average. No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't. Dollars. Give me the dollars. How much did I pay the first year, the second year, the third year? Maybe I get it. Joe, it's going to take you a while to figure it out. I'm okay with that. I don't need it the second. Maybe tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon. You have an assistant, right? The only other person in the office that's not a vice president, Joe. Just ask that person, how much in dollars did we pay? Not just you, but your boss, your supervisor, the company. doesn't matter to me who gets it, right? It leaves my pocket and goes to somebody else. Whether Joe is well compensated percentage-wise or not, it's not my problem. It's not my issue. It just went somewhere. Joe's boss, cousin, mother, I don't know. Somebody got it doesn't matter. When it leaves my pocket, how much money came into my pocket and how much left my pocket, and then you do the math. And in many cases, let's say it's mm, maybe two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a year. And then you do the math. 5000 a year times nine years, that's $45,000 on average. So I paid forty five dollars to get seventy. Do you like that deal? If you do, do it again. If you don't, make a change. If you paid $4,000 and you received 70, maybe I like that deal. I'll do that again. Right? So you just have to look and see where your line is. Is it worth it? Is it not? And then in the end, you can decide, I'd like to do this again, or I don't want to do this again. All right? Okay. So here's my next email. And this, let's see who this is from. Yeah, this is from... Suzanne. All right, Suzanne, let's take a look. Dear Arif, both my husband and I have worked for the county for more than 30 years. We thought we would give up a lot to have a government job, but in the end, it seems like we ended up much better off than some of our friends and family. We are both scared and disappointed into the direction that our state is going, and of course, the nation's radical direction against Americans and free speech is also a big concern. We are worried about the ability to be left alone, both personally and in taxes. So in retirement, we will have lifetime medical insurance for, for us both and a pension that is backed by the ability of the county to tax its citizens. That's in order to make sure that our pensions are paid for for the foreseeable future. We are also able to set aside, we were also able to set aside about $1.2 million in our Mutual uh, 457 plan, deferred compensation plans. It's basically the deferred compensation 
plans that the county offers. We would like to travel around the United States to see our family and friends. There are also other sites that we would like to visit as well. I would expect to be active in travel for at least the next two to three years. Here's my concern and questions. They center around the deferred compensation plans that we have and what we should do with them. We are both 60 years old and we need to buy the RV for us to travel and uh, we need to buy the RV for us to travel. All right. We have an additional $100,000 in our savings and our checking accounts and our CDs. All of our CDs total an additional 280000 Okay. So there we go. Let's lay this out. They've worked for the county for 30 years. That means they qualify for a pension. They're 60 years old. So they started right around 30 years old. So that means they have the old pension plan, which is actually to their benefit. They're going to travel around the country. Okay, here's my concern, guys. First of all, let's go back to something. There was something she wrote and I wanted to... Okay, yes. Her questions also center around her ability. If she lives outside of the state of California, which is what they want to do, can they still qualify if the pension is going to... uh, receive funds from county taxpayers? Well, the answer is yes. So do you realize many of you that are still going to stay in the state, city, county of California, Los Angeles, et cetera, you're going to be paying taxes, extra taxes on your property. So forget Prop 13, that's out the window. Assessments, whatever they're going to call it, vehicles, uh, sales tax, for pensions for individuals that live outside of the state of California. So that means you're going to work hard to pay for a pension for somebody who's no longer working. Again, you can say that's a good thing or not. I'm just telling you what's happening. So people who will never work again a day in their life in the state of California won't spend another dime in the state of California. In other words, sales tax and jobs, etc., won't eat at a restaurant again ever in the state of California who are going to live wherever they live are going to require that you, me and others that are in the state of California work and pay taxes for somebody that's never going to step foot in the state or spend another dime in the state again. Teachers, police officers, firefighters, school teachers, government workers, personnel department, street maintenance, all everybody. If you think that's a good idea, fine. If you don't, okay. It doesn't change that it's happening. But here's my concern, guys. Big question and big problem. Number one is I do not want you, Susan, you and your husband, I don't want you using your 457, your retirement accounts, to buy the RV. Let's say, for example, the RV is $100,000. You may have to take out from your savings, from your retirement accounts, rather, one hundred and fifty. dollars maybe $160,000, pull out 160, pay the IRS and the state of California or wherever you live. Maybe you'll live in a different state at that time and you'll pay that state maybe 60 grand along with the federal government together. So that $60,000 that you spend, poof, gone. You pull out 160, taxes go 60,000, $100,000 goes to your fancy RV. Wonderful, but here's the problem, guys. It can boost the tax bracket of your other income as well. 
your normal pension money that you're working for. So I do not want you to, to make this mistake. And it's a very common mistake. So many of you see your retirement account, right? In, in the movie industry, in the, in the entertainment industry, it's called the IAP, IAP, the individual account plan. Kaiser Hospital, 401A or 457, same thing with UCLA, Boeing, wherever you work, your retirement accounts, your pensions, et cetera, the big lump sum, they are not big capital letters. I'm going to have some lights flashing. They are not a savings account. Retirement accounts job, why you got all the goodies and the benefits and the deferrals and the matches, et cetera. The retirement accounts job is to give you a monthly income stream or annual. Some of you take it that way. Most do not. But it is a monthly check that you receive for the rest of your life. And then your beneficiaries receive it when you die. It is not, oh, great. I'm going to take out 50000 and help my daughter buy a new car or a house or my son will pay for his college. No, 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 no. College is for college. Your house. If you said, Eric, I'm going to refinance my house because I'm going to add a new bathroom and a new bedroom. I got you. I, I like that idea. If that's the only way to do it, let's do it. I do not want you taking from your retirement account to add a bathroom or a bedroom because retirement is not lump sum oriented. Do you follow me on that, guys? It's a big mistake people make. It throws them into a whole new tax bracket. You thought you were going to retire and have less problems. The problems that people have with, with uh, the IRS after retirement, if you didn't do this right, is there, it could be quite large. Okay. Here's what I want you to understand also. I don't know if the county of Los Angeles is going to live up to its obligations, financially speaking. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can tell you that when more than half of its money that comes in goes to pay for the benefits and the pensions of people that no longer work there. Do you realize that? People that, that don't work anymore. So they got to pay two people to do one job. Somebody that used to be there. And if that person's predecessor is still alive, they have to pay three people to do one person's job. Right? If, if I need the head secretary of personnel department for the city of LA and she retires and she took the place of somebody else 25 years ago, but that person retired at 60, but she's still alive. So she's 85. She receives a pension. She's not showing up for work. The one who just retired, she's 60. She received a pension. She's not showing up for work anymore. And then the new one they hire tomorrow to, to replace that person. She's getting paid. So now three people are being paid to do one person's job. And you can extrapolate that out over police and fire and judges and attorneys, district attorneys and city on and on and on and on. That's why the pension system cannot, in my opinion, survive the way it is. It just can't. As people are living longer and you're paying people to not show up for work, especially when they're not going to stay in the state of California, to recirculate those tax dollars back into the system, then it's a system that I don't think can survive. So next, here's what I think is pretty important. If you guys are going to consider leaving the state of California, I want you to do it before you pull out any big chunks of the money to spend. Now we can roll it over. As soon as you're done with the city, county, state job, whatever, I can pick up that account, move it over, get it out of their money and into your own money. 
And what I would do, guys, with that 1.2 is I would have a backup plan. Because statistically speaking, if both of you make it to age 65, in other words, five more years, you're both alive and still married, chances are really good that one of you is going to reach age 90. That's important because age 90 is a long ways away. And that means the county is going to be paying pensions for a very long time. 25 years, 30 years, more. And what if the county has to go back and readjust it? Because I think they have to. I think the teachers' pensions have to go back and be adjusted. I think counties, cities, police, fire, everybody. There just isn't money in the system. I mean, listen, they're doing it based on a on an extrapolation of earning a rate of return on the bucket of money that's left behind. Think of it like this. You have a savings account and you're earning 5% interest. Now, if you spend less than 5% interest, then when you take money out, the bucket of money is going to actually grow because you didn't take out everything that it earned. So that's what they're counting on with the pension system. Here's the problem. Last year, they lost 20%. So if the pension systems on average lost 20% and they were calculating to try to earn seven or eight or nine, well, they're just made up, they just made up numbers. It's not real. They actually didn't make money. They lost. And somebody has to eat those. Somebody has to eat the money. So pensions are always made up of three parts. Number one, the employee contributions. That's you working. While you're working, you're going to spend eight, seven, eight, ten, 12%, depending on what pension system you're under, of your money that you get or that you receive goes into the bucket. This big bucket of money and everybody drops money in, drops money in, drops money in. Okay? That's about eight, seven to ten, eight, twelve, depending on what when you were hired and what under what contract. Okay. That's one one way that it's funded. Second is the interest inside of that. The money that was there last year is earning interest, we hope, this year. And so those extra dollars in interest and and profits from the companies they own or the or the real estate that the pension fund owns, that actually earns some interest, we hope, and that's added into the bucket. And then what's left over, they do the math, and the governmental entity, so the county or the city or the state, takes a look and says, what's our shortfall? Oh, we earned less than we thought. Employees, there are less employees than we thought. Okay, we have to make up this much. Now, when the times are good and the first two entities, the employees and the interest, make up more than 100%, then the government, city, county, state says, we don't have to put any money in this year. That's a good year. Instead of continuing to put money in to build that a pension fund up or instead of recalculating the numbers to say, listen, we made money this year, but there's some years we may not. So we better be, be sure to have this fund safe and comfortable and always earning money. So there are the three ways that it gets put in. Now, if you're the city, county, state, and you're trying to put money into this bucket, you're not, you're not building cars or widgets or computers for $100 and selling them for $500 and you make a profit. You have to tax the people. 
So you have to, under force, penalty, jail, confiscation of property, you have to tell the people, we will take your money. And the money that we will take needs to go into this pension fund along with other dollars and, and other services. Now, the point is this. If you're an educator that's 38 years old, single mother of two kids, trying to make ends meet, your ex-husband is a deadbeat, and some of you are men that work for the county and your ex-wife's a deadbeat, and you have three kids, I get it. But under my example, this 38-year-old teacher who still has 20 plus years of work ahead of her, and you go to her and say, listen, you're gonna have to put in more money, your pension's gonna be cut, because there's currently a 64-year-old teacher who's scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef and her pension of $9,000 a month needs to be supported. And you're thinking, but, but I can't feed my kids without working two jobs and daycare is eating me alive and my ex-husband isn't paying for a thing. I understand, but you have to pay. You have to give up more money and you will receive less benefits. I think there's going to be a cultural clash there. I think the 32-year-old or 38-year-old teacher is going to be like, eh, this doesn't seem right. I mean, I get it. She worked hard and she paid her dues and she spent her career here. But I can't afford to put that extra money in. I don't know what's right or wrong in that story. I'm not either of those people. But what I'm telling you is that's the kind of thing that will happen where there will be a conversation, there will be a push and in the end, whatever protests or negotiations happen, I think will create whatever takes place. And Susan, in your case, the county pensions will probably be there in the same form or fashion. I think what they'll do is cap the rate of return. Sorry, cap the uh, cost of living. They usually cap them at 3% anyway. But I think they might just say, listen, we're not going to give a cost of living increase for five years right? There's a way to fix these pensions. You just have to really upset everybody. You have to make everybody mad at you at the end, because the only way to do this is to affect everybody. Existing workers, you have to put in more money. Current retirees, you're not going to receive cost of living increases. People about ready to retire, you got to work another year or two or three, right? There's going to be something like that. And then what you do is this guys, Susan, this is good for you and your husband. I would use the CD money for the RV purchase. And I would rent one first. Rent an RV, different sizes. Oh, well, we thought we wanted a small one. Turns out we like the features of the larger one. Or we have a large one. We realized we couldn't get into half the campgrounds we wanted to because it's just too large. We have to stay below whatever, 29 feet. So you're going to rent one. Try this, try that. Then I think in the next six months to a year, the economy is going to change. And all of those RVs that people bought during COVID, the registration is due again. And after one or two of those registrations where the RV is sitting in the driveway, they're paying $500 a month, $800 a month, $200 a month to store it, right? It's in some storage area. So they're not using it and they're paying for it. They might still have a, a payment on it. They're paying for it and not using it. The registration, the vehicle registration is $1,100 or $1,200 a year. So they're not using that. 
I think you're going to start to see the RVs and the boats, those things start trickle onto the market here very soon. And that will push prices lower. By the time the next six months or a year, you have already gone out and, and tried three or four different models, driven them to see, do I like a diesel? Do I like gas, etc. Class C, class B, whatever. Then you're coming in as a cash buyer. Take that CD money and you buy what you like. And now you know what you like. I want the awnings on the driver's side. I don't want, I want the, the pullouts on the, uh, on the passenger, on the, the passenger side, right? Sometimes people, you don't realize this. I had a friend who told me recently, Arif, I want all of the pop-outs to be on the driver's side and the awning to not have any pop-outs on it. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Why would you want to walk out the door and hit your head? He goes, exactly. So do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's different features that unless you're out there using it, you're not going to know. All right, so you're going to practice, test it out. Give yourself about six months or so, six months a year. I think people are going to start dropping those back onto the market quickly. And that post-COVID money, you're going to, you're going to buy it at a discount. 888, guys. Here's my phone number, 888-997-3847, 888-99-RETIRE. Thanks for listening. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Show. Always a little different because you're listening as well. It makes a big difference. Have a blessed weekend and the rest of the week. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is AM870, The Answer. Have a great day. The Total Financial Hour. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.